Welcome to Creekside Church. We are excited to have everyone here today uh, on this Palm Sunday. Uh, let's just uh, lift our hearts to the Lord in prayer before we continue. Father, we, we come together today as your church, um, the body that you bought with the blood of Christ, and we praise you that Jesus uh, came to this earth, that he lived that perfect life that we could not and that he went willingly uh, to the cross on our behalf. Father, we just ask that you would fill our hearts with gratitude this morning as we consider Jesus our King, as we think about uh, the wondrous love that you poured out on us. It's in his precious name. I know that you are always In the context of the Christian belief, Grace is defined as the free and unmerited favor of God. Scripture is bountiful on the assurance that we as sinners can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. It is by the grace of God that the Apostle Paul could claim the transformation from a misguided persecutor of the Christians to a forgiven sinner headed to heaven. How amazing, truly amazing grace. After grace works the salvation of the sinner, we can claim the promise that all things in our life work together for our good. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but gives us grace to help in time of our greatest need. want to remind everyone that the Easter egg hunt is Saturday. So they are rolling in a visual for everyone to see how many eggs there are. I believe somewhere over 4,000, 4,200 eggs. Uh, so just a, a few basic requests. And uh, thank you again to Amy Johnson and Mike Johnson for help, helping to organize all of this. Let's give them a hand. It's a lot of work. So a few basic things. Number one is for everyone to pray. Uh, pray for the right people to uh, show up next week. Um, number two, if you know of families with young kids who would like to come, please invite them. There are invitation cards uh, out front. 
Uh, so grab them on your way out. It, it is, the actual hunt is at 10.30 on Saturday. If you're involved as a helper, uh, you will receive information on what time you're supposed to come. Uh, if you are interested in helping, please see the sign-up sheet out front as well and uh, ask if there's a way you can get involved. So uh, with that, thank you, uh, and uh, we'll look forward to this next weekend. Praise God for uh, our young people and for those who are working with them to help encourage them in their, uh, in their musical abilities and their willingness to serve the Lord. So thank you all, uh, everybody. I tell you what, that, that, was, uh, that was amazing. I don't know how they coordinated all that. Uh, that, was, uh, that was very good. So thank you all very much for your participation in that. A couple things I need to call your attention to. Uh, first of all, one of our, our gals, uh, young gals, uh, Leah uh, Westrom, is going to be moving this next week. So Leah, you're down here in the front. Just wave your hand. She'll be out in the lobby in the, uh, after the service. She needs some help. She didn't have a vehicle uh, big enough to move her stuff. She has a couple of dressers and some, uh, some boxes of stuff. So she needs some help Monday. Uh, Monday, well, talk to her afterwards, but probably Monday night or Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night. Uh, doesn't, she doesn't know exactly when she's going to get in, but she needs help one or, one or more of those nights after 5 p.m. So if you would talk to Leah after the service, that would be great. She, uh, I don't know. I hesitate to say this because I've helped a lot of people move. doesn't sound like she has that much stuff, but uh, that being said, it might take more than one night, okay? So anyhow, please talk to her. Also, I'd like to ask you to be praying for Mary Bristow. Uh, she's going in for surgery on March 7th at Iowa City to have uh, a back, uh, some vertebra fused together. And so she'll be in the hospital for three days, and then she has about six to eight weeks of uh, recovery. After she gets back, she's not supposed to lift or bend or twist or do anything like that. So please be much in prayer for her, and uh, she would appreciate your prayers for the surgery, for comfort, and for things to go well after the surgery for her recovery, if you would pray for her. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for her, but I'm also uh, going to uh, just open our time with a, a prayer for some other things. Um, let's pray. Father. Uh, you are our great God, and uh, your grace is greater than all our sin. And we come to you, our Heavenly Father, thanking you for your work in sending your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, to redeem us as lost people. We come because you are inviting us, even as we were reminded this morning with the young people, to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so we, we come, and I, I pray, Father, especially for families of those who lost, lost loved ones this last week in Nashville, uh, as my heart is heavy for uh, families uh, and uh, the open assault on uh, those who uh, hold to the truths of your word I pray that you would surround them with your love, you would comfort, encourage, and strengthen them. I pray that they would know the peace of God that passes all understanding, that you'd comfort their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. I pray for our brother Bob and Debbie as they deal with the, the loss of a young gal in Carlisle and the impact that it's had on a number of people. I pray that you would give them wisdom and encouragement and strength to know how to counsel and guide and direct people. I pray that you would meet those folks and the parents and, and siblings and family members and those who knew this young gal in a special way that you'd comfort, encourage, and strengthen them. 
We pray for Mary and for the upcoming surgery that she has. We pray that things would go well for her. Our prayer is that she and, and Mark might be the light of the gospel in the, in the dark place, even as they undergo the surgery, that you'd help us to be kingdom people wherever we are, whatever we're going through. I ask that you'd allow the surgery to go well, and we pray for a quick and speedy recovery as, as well as that can be. And Father, we pray now uh, that uh, as the gospel goes forth this week, in many, many places here and around the world that you would be working to draw people to yourself, that you would be working to open the eyes of those whose minds and, and hearts are blinded to the truth by the enemy and that they might see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ and come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I'll take that as an amen. Thank you, Raylan. That's great. Uh, recently, I had a conversation, and I'm going to call his name Joe. Okay, I was talking to Joe and talking to him about, you know, his, uh, his life and about uh, what he believed about God. Did he, did he believe in God? Did he uh, know who Jesus was? Did he have any idea of who Jesus was? And uh, he basically, Joe told me that he, he basically didn't care about God, didn't know God, didn't, didn't care about God. It wasn't a part of his life. And never been part of his life. And this is a guy, you know, probably in his 60s. He never grew up hearing about God. Didn't go to church. Didn't care about church. He just basically was uh, an irreligious person. And as I was talking to him and sharing with him about the person and the work of Jesus. And a, and a friend of mine was talking to him about whether, you know, how did we get here and creation all that stuff. It just really wasn't of interest to him. And the sad reality is that's where a lot of the people in the world are. God's just not part of the picture. They don't think about God. They don't think about their relationship with God. They don't think that they have, there is a God or they don't care. But even sadder than that is that there's a group of people who are religious, uh, those of us who profess to know God, and uh, our rejection of God is a little more subtle. We just don't trust Him all that much or we just don't trust him completely with every part of our life instead we turn to someone else or something else that we think is going to provide us with security with stability with the the satisfaction and fullness that we we hoped that we would find somewhere but we really can't trust God with it the fact that our hearts are prone to wonder, as the songwriter says, our hearts are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love, is seen very clearly in the text that we're going to be looking at this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 8. The establishment of the monarchy, which is a fancy word for saying the king, kingdom, okay, in Israel in this chapter exposes, it exposes uh, what I would call the pathology and the problems of a wandering heart disease. Okay? We have this, this disease that likes to wander away from God. While it also educates us on how to solve the problem. To prevent this sort of idolatry in our lives. And so this morning um, we're looking at three symptoms of a heart that's eager to reject. Now this I think is important as we see the distinction. To reject our, our generous God who saves and to replace him 
with counterfeit gods who enslave. So there is a God who gives and saves, and there are many, many other gods who take and who enslave. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to 1 Samuel chapter 8. There are Bibles underneath of you in the, under the, in the seats. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, so I realize that for some of you it's a little different, but uh, hold on and we're going to read through these verses and then we'll seek to unpack these three symptoms of the heart that wanders away from God, but that educates us on how to stay true to God. And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us that, like all the, all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, then listen to their voice, however, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure or the the, the justice of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel spoke, verse 10, so Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the procedure or the justice of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing, to reap his harvest, and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, of your vineyards, and of your olive groves, and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards, and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, uh, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. The first symptom of this wandering heart disease that we see in the text is a request for counterfeit gods to replace God. Okay, uh, We request counterfeit gods to replace God. When it says in verse 6, give us a king... It was a rejection of Samuel as judge, okay? And judge 
meaning he was their spiritual leader. He was their spiritual guide. He would give them wisdom, counsel, speak to them the word of God. He would give them guidance and instruction, but he would also make judgments among them as to what was right and what was wrong and what was fair. But they reject Samuel as judge, but more importantly, they were rejecting God as their king. If you take your bulletin, if you have your bulletin, what does it, what does it say on the front of the bulletin? Jesus is king. Easy to say the words. A little more difficult to live them out. Because king means absolute ruler. Absolute surrender. Absolute allegiance. They rejected God as their king. And this isn't uh, something we're going to see again. If you look at 1 Samuel, you can look at it on the screen. I think we have this as a slide. 1 Samuel chapter 12. At the, at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 12, in the, in the second verse there, verse well, chapter 12, verse 12. Let me see. First Samuel 12, 12. End of the verse, it says, I guess maybe we don't have it as a slide. It says this, Although the Lord was your, you no, know, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. The Lord was your king, but you rejected him as your king. So there's several forces that propelled them, that propel us to reject God and to accept and refuse to trust him fully, which is what I understand. They, re- they refuse to trust him fully. First, our discontent spiritually and or difficulty generally. Look at verses 3 through 5. He had appointed his sons judges over Israel, but he said his sons, however, did not walk in his ways. You see that phrase repeated twice, once in verse 3 and once in verse 5. They did not walk in his ways. Oh, ding, 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 ding. Reminds us, if we remember, back to chapter 2 and, and the, the guy named Eli, whose sons... He appointed as priests who did not walk in his ways. Twice, they did not walk in his ways. Samuel's ministry had been fruitful. It had been productive. He was a good and godly leader. In his old age, he appointed his sons, and they were corrupt. They violated the scriptures in Exodus chapter 23, verses 6 and 8. Uh, we, we find where they had, they had violated these laws. Do we have that one? Nope. Exodus. 23. Don't take my word for it. 23, 6 and 8. It says, You shall not pervert the justice due to the needy brother in his dispute. Verse 8. And you shall not take a bribe or bribe or, or for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just, which is exactly what they were doing. They were taking bribes, they were perverting justice. And so the people became restless. They were corrupt. Their spiritual guides were purveyors of corruption. In the United States, we have members of Congress that are, that are all down on uh, supporting uh, young children's rights to decide if they like their biological sex. But these same members of Congress are conspicuously silent when it comes to the abuse of children that's taking place at our southern border. The trafficking of young children and the abuse of young children. It's it's like here in Israel, it is duplicitous. It's like it doesn't make sense. They're inconsistent. It's disingenuous. It's hypocritical. And that's what bothered them. And they said, we don't feel safe. We don't feel secure. We don't feel that we can trust you 
And so they were very, very frustrated by it. The crisis of spiritual leadership in Israel created what appeared to be a reasonable justification for looking elsewhere for safety, for security, and for satisfaction. And so you think, well, that happens in our day too, right? Uh, Spiritual leadership fails, and we leave us feeling vulnerable, and uh, abuse often prompts us to think we need a change. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. You know, if God's servants are teaching heresy in the church, uh, yeah, maybe we, we need a change. You know, uh, if the church and its teachings don't keep pace with society, which is what we see a lot happening today, the, the, the church sometimes is lagging behind what everybody thinks is needed to be accepted. And so if you're not down on the, on the, on the CRT thing, you're not down on uh, the, the, the moral revolution that's taking place where you're accepting into the, the fellowship of believers, those whose lifestyle is inconsistent with the scripture, then somehow you're out of step and you need to get up with the program. Or sometimes in actuality, church leaders act inappropriately. And they do stupid stuff because they're human beings and they make mistakes. And so what does that leave us to do? Well, rather than, uh, than, than confront corruption, sometimes we just find another charismatic leader that will you know, tickle our ears. Uh, rather than examine our own convictions, like, well, is, is the way of the world supposed to be the same as the way of the church? And a lot of people are just going along they 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 go along with it or or we we trust or they don't trust they trust we we fail to trust god in the confusion sometimes we just don't know what's going on and we just need to say okay god i I don't know what's going on but i'm going to trust you through this whole process i'm going to try to trust you in it no we come up with our own solution i got a good idea god uh I, i can i can figure this out on my own so we, we turn to that charismatic leader. Or we've been burnt by the church, so I'm not letting that happen again. You know, I, I, was, I was in a church once, and they did this to me. So uh, I'm just going to kind of hang around the fringe, you know, and, uh, and see what happens. You know, because people are human, and they make mistakes, and that's true. Uh, or else we, we just decide, well you know what, I don't really know that this is a right thing. It seems like the Bible says that, that, that we shouldn't practice uh, certain immoral activities and we shouldn't condone this uh, people who think that they're God and can decide what sex they are rather than going along with their biologically uh, ordained sex that God gave us at, 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 when we were born. And, you know, I, I don't understand, but I'm just going to kind of embrace society because society understands and we embrace heresy to mimic society and ignore scriptural clarity. I hope that wasn't too much. We, 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 we deny, we embrace society and ignore what the clear teachings of the Bible are. And this is wrong. So rebellion is, is fueled also. It's not just fueled by our discontent or the problems that we face. It's, it's fueled by our desire to be worldly. Look at verse 5. It says that now they said, appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. We want to be like everybody else. We, we want to in, in do it. it. It wasn't the request for a king that was the problem. You can go back into Deuteronomy chapter 17, and in verses 14 through 20, God says, you're going to have a king. 
So the, the request for a king wasn't the problem. The problem was why they asked for a king. What was the reason for asking for a king? They felt insecure. They felt discontent. They were, they were unhappy. So they demanded a visible king to replace and uh, I think to somewhat reinforce this God that they couldn't see. You know, we wanted something tangible. And they would rely upon the king, not the king, and they would rely on themselves rather than in placing, putting in place a king that really feared and trusted God like they were commanded to do in Deuteronomy chapter 17. So we just want a king we can touch and feel and feel good about and know that he's in charge and we don't have to trust this God that we don't really see. You know what? We can do the same thing. We can be guilty of rejecting God by looking to something tangible or something that we can control in place of or in addition to God as our source of ultimate safety, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate stability. I mean, the world is screaming at us. Uh, the world screams and, and, and it says that we should desire and depend. Look for a good job. If you have a good paying job with good benefits. Now, and I hope you hear me saying, I'm not saying that any of these things in and of themselves are bad. Okay? So I have to preface that. But if we're looking to them for our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate security, our ultimate stability in life, then we're replacing God. The world says, well, <laughs> the world used to say being married was uh, uh, one of those things, okay? Uh, in the church of Jesus Christ, we would still say marriage is important and good and right in the eyes of God. It's His divinely ordained institution. People look to physical fitness, you know, as, as that, that security. And our education, our training, personal pleasure. Our popularity, being famous, being important. How many likes do I have on Instagram? How many, uh, how many followers do I have on Twitter and, and Facebook? I mean, I, I, I do social media some, and I look and I go, well, who cares? Well, hey, if you have YouTube, hey, you can make money on YouTube. I didn't know this. You can make YouTube money on YouTube if you have enough people that, that view your videos. I mean, talk about narcissism and and then it's like oh i want to be in i want to have independence that's my god i worship independence nobody's going to trap me nobody's going to tell me what to do i'm going to do my own thing i'm my own boss uh, i used to work and live in a farming community farmers are like they're, they're the most independent people in the world no offense mark but this is this is reality you can correct me if i'm wrong it's like every one of them has the best way to do it they don't want any boss. <laughs> they are the boss. And they'll let you know they are the boss. And it's like trusting in these tangible and manageable counterfeit gods turns us away, can turn us away from absolute, if we're trusting in them, absolute reliance upon God. A God whom we can't see. A God that I can't control. 
but a God who calls me to himself. I've asked myself this. How would I feel if I was one of the parents or one of the spouses of those whose lives were taken in Nashville this week? Christian school. Christian people. Can I worship a God who allowed this to happen? You'd be tempted to find another God. But God Almighty has proven in His character. He has proven in His conduct over history. And He's proven at the cross of Christ that He alone is to be trusted. Whatever we're trusting in to provide us with the satisfaction and security that only God can give us is an idol. Money is not an idol. The love of money is. Paul says it in Colossians chapter 3. Greed is idolatry. Escape can be an idol or pleasure. My next hunting trip, you know, uh, the next cruise, the next Netflix series that I can uh, binge, uh, a shopping spree, or a ball game can be an idol. Popularity. <laughs> oh, man. On and I are in India, and one of Anand's friends is a, is a big roller, high roller, and so we went and see, saw him, and we were going up to Vijay Wada, and uh, this guy had just bought a business up in Vijay Wada, and they'd revamped this whole factory, and so, uh, and Anand's, you know, Anand's always thinking about some, don't, don't be offended, brother, it's good, he's, he's always thinking about some angle, so he's thinking, well, he wanted to go to this uh, factory, because he has some contacts here in the States that might be able to use the products that are being developed there, and so his friend had set up this, uh, this tour of this factory in between, like it was Saturday, and we, we, uh, we preached on Saturday morning, and then we had lunch, and then we went out to this factory, and then got back just in time so we could uh, preach again on Saturday night, and so we're out there in this factory, and mind you, it's 97, 95, 97 degrees outside, and we're wearing longs just like I'm dressed right now, and we went into this factory, it was about 10 degrees warmer. And like, we were the rock stars in this factory. It's like, I mean, they had the CEO or the, the, the well, you correct me if I'm wrong on it, but they had the operations manager here. They had one of his friend's uh, investors who had invested in the company. They had the, the, the production people on the, on the factory line, the floor. They had the, the uh, CEO of the factory. I mean, it was like, Everybody was there. And then they're over there videoing us. You know, they got their phone out and they're videoing us while we're watching. We're asking questions. They're taking videos. And I'm thinking, jeepers, what is going on? And it's like, do you see, my point in all that is this, this, that um, popularity, it, it can be intoxicating. And being famous and being important is like, Oh, I mean, they came with water, and then we sat around the big conference table, and they brought out water and, you know, and, and food and stuff. It was like, all we did was we just wanted to show up and see what they're doing, you know. We ask a few questions to make ourselves look intelligent, 
and, uh, you know, that we thought were, were, were okay. But folks, as, as, as Acton's anthem is, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We, we're not important people. And let us be careful not to think, not to worship popularity. It can get, and then the, the third means or prompter to, to turning away from God is, is our apostasy, our drift towards apostasy. Look, if you look at verses 7 and 8, And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being God, king over them, like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day. In other words, this was systemic in the people of Israel, <laughs> to reject God. And um, we, I, I want to reference, you can write this down if you're taking notes, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 6 through 12, because it's kind of like it's on a loop. It, it kind of repeats, and he goes back in, in, the chap, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 6 through 12, he illustrates what he's talking about here in chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, he gives illustrations. Proof number one, what did they do right after they, they were leaving Exodus, in the Exodus? What, what did they do? They stopped at Mount Sinai, and while Moses is up on the mountain, what are they doing down in the, in the valley? Gathering their earrings and throwing them into a fire, and as Aaron says, well, we just threw them in there, and out came this calf. <laughs> don't, you, don't you love the comics in the Bible? I was like, well, it just happened. You know, we just threw all this stuff in there and into the fire, and whoop, out jumps this uh, golden calf. You know, so what could we do, God? We just had to worship him. And then we see all through the period of the judges what happens that the, the people of Israel rebel against God. Everything's going great. They rebel against God. Then they get in, God punishes them for the rebellion. They feel bad about the rebellion. They feel bad about rebelling against God. So they turn back to God, and then God says, sends a judge, and he delivers them. And then they do the same thing again. They reject God. And then we get here. 1 Samuel chapter 8 comes right after what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Which was all last week's sermon. But the refresher course is, there's a great revival. They turned to God with their whole hearts. And they repented and they worshiped. And then here we are. Rejecting God. And the sad part is, is that the same fickle tendency to reject faith in God and rely on our human fix is within us. We're not any different than the children of Israel. I think that's why God keeps repeating this all through the Bible and reminding us, you know, you're just like them. You're just like them. In the, in the turbulent times, what, do, in turbulent, what are you supposed to do right now? Oh, you've got to buy, you buy precious metals, right? Because the, uh, you know, everything's bad. Uh, during the pandemic, toilet paper. How many of you bought toilet paper during the pandemic? Yeah, you went out and you couldn't find it on the shelves, right? Oh, bottled water. Got to get that stuff because what, I mean, does, does nobody anymore drink water out of the tap like me? I mean, I grew up in America. I'm not allergic to the water in America. It does, it's not going to kill me. I don't care whether I'm in Los Angeles or New York City. I, can, I drink the water. But now it's almost, I've, I've drank so many bottles of water, it's almost, you know, I freaked out. You go to the water fountain, you're like, what's this? Oh, yeah, you can drink it. It'll, it'll sustain you. Um, 
and we, we get freaked out. Now, now, all of these things that I'm talking about, they may be legitimate actions, I mean, uh, to, to do, but what's the reason? And the question I ask myself is, have we taken, have we, like Israel, forsaken the Lord to serve our other gods? 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, the end of the verse, uh, verse 17 and verse 19, the end of the verses, it, it says, you have done wickedly. You know, you have, you've made wicked, you've done this as wickedness. But what blows my mind is that if you read verse 7, what does God tell them? Listen to their wickedness. Grant them their request. Uh, but he's not done yet. Because there's going to be a cost. And that's the, the, the second element in this whole process in verses 9 through 18, we realize the cost of rejecting God. Oh yeah, we request counterfeit gods to replace him. That's the first symptom. But the second one is this, that we realize the cost of rejecting God. And the price of our idolatry is listed or emphasized in at least a couple of ways. First of all, there's the painful cost of our counterfeit gods. Verse 9. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them. And tell them of the, the, the New American Standard translates it procedure. Does anybody's version translate it justice? Or the, the conduct or the, the, the way that it should happen? It doesn't matter. The, the, with the wish granted, he gives a warning. Okay, do it, but here's the warning. And the Hebrew word translated procedure in the New American Standard can be legitimately translated justice. So here's the deal. It's a play on words. Procedure is translated in verses 9 and 11. Okay, If you translate it justice, it provides a play on words on the word judge because it's the same root. And the words judge, the word judge is used in verses 1, 2, 5, 6, and 20. Uh, there's an emphasis on judge, right? So the perversion of the justice of Samuel's sons is going to pale in comparison to the perversion of justice that they're going to experience from a king. Well, you want a king? Because Samuel's sons are unjust? Let me tell you the justice of the king that you're asking for is the way it is. So now let's read through the text, beginning with verse 11. It says... And he said, this will be the justice of the king who will reign over you. Now, what I'd encourage you to do in your Bible is every time you see the word take, underline it, circle it, asterisk it, however you want to highlight it, whatever you want to do. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will be for his chariots. And then in, in, uh, in, in verse, verse 12, it says he will appoint... Uh, for himself commanders that coming from their sons all right then if you went down into verse 13 it says he will take your daughters all right and then in verse 14 he will take your farms i'm paraphrasing okay i'm not reading all the all the stuff but he'll take your farm and he'll confiscate it and he'll redistribute it oh sounds like socialism yeah it was yours now it's mine i'm giving it to whoever i want and he'll take your produce in verse 15. It's a tax. I'm going to tax you. 
And then he'll take your servants and your resources in verse 16. And then he will take your money and he'll take you in verse 17. You know what this is? Slavery. You're signing up for slavery. That's what you're going to get. And what I want to say is, what I think is the point here is, for them it was this, but for us it's this. Any person, any pursuit, any practice that we turn to, to replace God as king, that we look to for our stability, that we look to for our security, that we look to for our satisfaction, will take from us. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see, you know, king and country at the, and again, I'm not saying any of this is bad, okay, in and of itself. I'm going to go see king and country at the state fair. I think my wife already bought tickets, so I better be careful. I'm going to go see Lauren Daigle. I'm going to go to a conference and listen to John MacArthur. I've got a political person, and I'm going to go see and go to their rally or go to their, their fundraiser. They take. They take our money. They take our time. They take our focus. That's what they do. Don't let respect for a person become unhealthy reverence for the person. Okay? It's okay to respect people. Just don't revere them as God. Don't, don't hold me up to be some sort of a king at your factory. I'm just visiting. Okay? We pursue work. We pursue wealth, cleanliness, education, fame. And it takes energy. It takes time. It takes money. It can take us away from the people we love. I uh, had the sad fortune of sitting uh, near uh, a man at his daughter's high school graduation, who, and he lamented the fact that he had missed so much of her childhood because he was at work. You know the saying, nobody, nobody, nobody on their deathbed is going to say, I wish I'd worked more. These things can eclipse God from our life. Our practices, oh, Okay, I haven't stepped on enough toes. So, parents run pillar to post, chasing after our kids. Why? Don't let our kids become God. Now, is it wrong for them to be in activities? No. Is it good for them to be in activities? Yeah, some. But I wonder if, and, you know, you can, I can say this now because it's in my rearview mirror. Uh, so you can, you can nail me to the wall for that. Okay, You can say, yeah, you didn't practice what you preached. To some degree, I didn't. To some degree, I did. Okay, uh, there were, I missed many of my kids' things because there were ministry things that kept me from them. But I went to a lot of them, and I bent over backwards to do a lot of them too. So you, you, can, you can nail me to the wall if you want, but here's the deal. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes time away from everybody else. It takes time away from the family. Escape into social media, 
You know, how many hours do we spend on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, uh, and you know, this kind of stuff? Addictive behavior. Movies, travel, exercise. They're expensive. They can eclipse God from our life. Now, none of those things in and of themselves do I think is necessarily wrong. But they're expensive. God alone gives and saves. Every counterfeit God takes and enslaves us. In 1 Samuel chapter uh, 10, verse 19, if you have your Bibles, you can maybe just turn over there if you don't. I guess it's on the screen. But today you have rejected your God, you who saves you from all your catastrophes and your distresses. Yet you have said, no, but put a king over us. Now then present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your groups of your thousands. So we, we, we reject God and our idolatry is, pays a price by the painful cost. But also uh, in verse 18, thy persistent pain of, re, of rejecting him. The monarchy took its toll on the people of Israel. They had to give and give and give and give. And we may have given and given and given to all these other counterfeit gods, but for us it's not too late. It's not too late. We, we can repent. We can change. We can turn. And we can turn to the God who gives and start receiving instead of just giving. The last symptom is that we, we refuse to heed the warning. Here we are in verse 19 and 20, and uh, the refusal has two parts. First of all, we remain committed to our own self-directed plan. Uh, you, just, you just have to listen when it says in verse 19, Nevertheless, 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 regardless of the cost, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there's going to be a king over us. Nice try, buddy. Nice try, Samuel. I mean... I, if you're a parent, you've had kids like this. You, you tell them point blank, this is stupid stuff. And they go, oh, no thanks, I'm going to do stupid stuff. Okay. You get it. You get the result of the stupid stuff. Regardless of the cost, the people said, no, we want a king. <laughs> Fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12. Same thing. No, we're going we're gonna to accept the king. The Israelites, and see it again, but when you saw that Nahash, the king of sons of Ammon, was coming against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. We can't trust God. We have to trust ourselves. We have to trust this king. The Israelites were supposed to be different. They were supposed to be different. They were supposed to worship and serve God with their whole hearts, without idolatry. And we are too, as God's people. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you have no other gods before me. We're supposed to worship him with our whole heart. I think that's like what Jesus said. Right? Matthew chapter 22, what's the first and greatest commandment? You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the scripture. This is God's command to us because he is worthy. God alone is to be trusted with our security, our stability, and our satisfaction. But the pressure of the world... For us to find something we can control and chase after is, is very, very strong. I just need to be married. I just need to get this degree. I, I just need to have a certain amount of independence. I, once I get this much money in my bank account, then I'm going to be okay. I need to be physically fit. You know? And again, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. The deepest longing of our soul will not be met in any of those things. 
Augustine is right. He says that our souls are restless until they find our rest in you. Transformation requires uh, both education and application. Uh, uh, when our children were young, uh, we lived on a street. We had an alley in the back, and we didn't have a fire pit, but you could have open burning in, in the town we lived in. And so I gathered some sticks from the yard, and I was burning them, and I was going to go get some hot dogs. You know, the kids are young. We're going to have a, a hot dog roast, you know. And so I had the fire going in the, in the alleyway, and I went to go get the, the food and the sticks for the hot dogs, and I turned around, and I saw my son uh, ride his bicycle right through the fire. Now, why would he do that? Well, because it was there. And that's what boys do. They do stupid stuff just because it's there, you know. Well, I'm going to jump off the roof. Why? Well, I don't know. thought I could fly, you know. And these are the people that we're giving, you know, this, again, I'm sorry, this is a sidetrack. These are the, 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 the young people that we are entrusting with the decisions about their own identity. No. I mean, it's a, it's a physiological fact that a male's brain is not fully developed, well, and that's even questionable, until age 25. Sorry, guys, that's, that's it. I mean, it's, it's, that, that's why we pay extra car insurance up until age 25 because they're prone to do stupid stuff. And I was one of them, you know, so, and I still do stupid stuff. But the point is this, that we, we can't trust ourselves. We, we can be educated, but we must, transformation requires application of the truth. And secondly, we receive our sinful heart's desire. This is an amazing thing to me. God desperately wants us to fear Him with all of our heart, supremely. To love Him completely. And to worship and serve Him wholeheartedly. That's Deuteronomy 10.12. We don't need to go there, but that's Deuteronomy 10.12. But He will not make us do it. He's not going to force our hand. He won't make us do it. Sometimes God grants us our request, like He granted their request, to teach us how stupid the request is. So, Opposite of that is, when God doesn't always give us what we ask for, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's His mercy. <laughs> maybe it's His mercy because we don't always know what's best for us. And so if, if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and, and just remember this. Mankind rejected God as the king in the Garden of Eden. And ever since then, our human tendency is to reject God as the king. But there's only one king. We all need a king. We all need a king, not a king who will take, not a king who will enslave, but we need a king who will give and who will save. And the only king that will give and save is the king of the universe and the king who's listed on your bulletin, the king who saves, is Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, this is Palm Sunday, right? And what were the people saying when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. This is the time. You can do it. You can do it. And Jesus himself said that he could save. He said that I'm a God who gives and saves. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. But the Son of Man did not come to be served, not to take, but to serve and to give. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. To save. The price of release. The price paid for our sin so that if we would trust in him, we would be saved. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you will be saved. Believe that he died on the cross and he paid the debt that we deserve to pay. That if we turn from our sin and trust in him, we will be forgiven. And I implore you, if you don't, have never made that decision, stop trusting in the gods who take and who enslave and start trusting in this king who gave and saves. And of those of us who know Jesus as a Lord and Savior, here's the deal. Let's ask ourselves, are there, are there kings in my life that enslave me? Have I, have I rejected God in certain ways? Are there certain activities, certain persons, certain pursuits, certain practices that I'm looking to to provide satisfaction? I'm looking to to provide security and stability that really only God can, can give me. Then repent of it. Does it exclude God? Does it eclipse God? And, and resist the way by eliminating it. You know, I, I, maybe I need to, you know, like... You talk to this one young gal in, in India, and she said, you know, there were people, that they, were, they were taking their household idols. Uh, I was talking to her at the, at the Indian fellowship. And they were throwing them in the river. They were getting rid of their idols. Actually, I was talking to Alicia, our administrative assistant, who told me that. And then finally, rely on the king. When I don't understand and I can't trace his hand, let me trust his heart. Christ's ransom is remembered when we take this bread and we take this cup. As the king who gave, he gave all so that those who believe could receive the gift of eternal life. And so if we know Jesus, let us take a moment or two to reflect on that. Confess our sin. And then come with joy and gladness and celebrate what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your love. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to help us, those who don't know Christ, to come to the King, the only King, who gives and saves and turn from the kings in their lives who enslave and take. I pray for those of us who know Jesus that you'd help us, Father. Search our hearts and know us and try us and know our anxious thoughts and help us to turn away from those things that enslave us those people, those pursuits, those practices, and follow you with our whole heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.